Welcome to Stay Grounded with your host, me, Raj Jana. I'm the founder of Java Press Coffee Company, and my life changed after my mentor died with three months left until retirement. That experience inspired me to start a personal journey to discover how we can all live a purpose-driven and meaningful life starting today. I interview everyone from best-selling authors and business moguls to extreme athletes and monks to discuss happiness, success, and fulfillment to uncover powerful takeaways that empower you to stay grounded and make passionate living a reality. To access post-podcast discussions, insights, and further resources, visit rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded. So thanks for joining me today. Now, let's get to grinding. Yo, yo, what's up, everyone? And welcome to this week's episode of Stay Grounded. I hope you are all just (laughs) taking a deep breath. I'm recording this intro the Friday before this episode comes out, which means that as of right now, there's still uncertainty about who's going to be the president of the United States. There's a lot of noise and disarray and chaos and stress. I hope you are all just taking moments, many moments throughout the day to connect back with yourself, taking deep breaths and really allowing yourself to create space. Usually when there's a lot of noise and uncertainty and chaos outside of me, I find it even more important for me to ground myself in that ocean of love and space in my heart. So I hope you guys are making that a priority and to help us explore even more ways to experience safety within ourselves. I'm so excited to be introducing my dear friend, Miss Elizabeth Cardiello. So Elizabeth is one of my favorite human beings on the planet. We got introduced a while back, but actually connected this year. And I mean, kindred spirits, we've been on the same soul bus for a while doing very similar work in the world, driven to impact the world in very similar ways. Her story and the way that she has created vehicles for impact inspires me. And I know that it's going to inspire all of you too. So a little bit of background on Elizabeth. She is the founder of a coffee company called Cafe Unimatic. And she's also the creator of the Brave Conversations Over Coffee platform, which is designed to help companies, families, and teams communicate in a way that inspires vulnerability, empathy, courage, courage, wow, look at that, courage and acceptance. It's just beautiful the way that Elizabeth connects coffee with the conversations to create an incredibly powerful framework for harmonizing the world, for bringing people together, for helping people experience more safety within themselves. And I just appreciate Elizabeth and her work so much because, you know, we bring on a lot of individuals on the show that are energetic healers, that have different modalities that are sort of rooted in the ethereal, that are rooted in things that we can't touch, feel, and really come back to. But Elizabeth's refreshing way of teaching listening, of teaching how to create safety with another, of teaching how to experience safety within yourself, all hinges on a framework. It hinges on something very concrete, the brave framework, which we talk a lot about on the podcast. And I appreciate that because especially when you're pulled, like when the world outside of you is in chaos, when you're triggered, it's really hard to remember how to come back to yourself. It's really hard to remember that we're going to be okay. It's really hard to remember that there's this ocean of space and love and just connection that already exists inside of us. But by relying on a framework, Elizabeth teaches how to return 
to the ocean of emotional resilience and bravery that exists inside of us already, the bravery that's necessary to thrive inside of chaos. Her story is wonderful. I mean, her dad passed away almost 10 years ago and her journey to sort of finding that emotional resilience within herself, experiencing safety inside of the chaos of her life is an inspiring reminder for all of us to find that it's just an inspiring reminder for all of us to use life as a vehicle to experience more fulfillment in every moment and we talk about so many things everything from how to develop more resilience how to communicate compassion through your eyes how to connect with others using the brave framework and how to connect with yourself and create more safety using it as well and really just how to experience harmony, not just inside of yourself, but also with the world around you. I said this earlier and I'll say it again, Elizabeth inspires me to no end. She's an incredibly beautiful human being who's doing such powerful work in the world. And I know that the things that we talk about on this conversation are going to allow you to connect deeper with something amazing in yourself. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. If you haven't already, subscribe to us on iTunes or any of the podcast apps. All that means is that every time we release a new episode, it drops straight into your inbox. And yet again, take a deep breath. Give yourself space. Give yourself a giant hug from me right now. Like you hearing me say this right now is me giving you a huge bear hug. So just experience that. I love you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for choosing yourself. And without further ado, here is the amazing Miss Elizabeth Cardiello. Enjoy. Yo, yo, yo. What's up, everybody? And welcome to this week's episode of Stay Grounded. If everyone tuning in is having a great day so far. Hi, Elizabeth. Hi. How are you doing over there on the other side of the pond? You're not on the other side of the pond, actually. You're like in the mountains right now. Yeah. By trees. There are no ponds. There are no ponds. Just trees. Just trees. And there was a foot of snow a couple of days ago. So there's trees and snow. I didn't pack for that. Yeah, clearly. I mean, who would? Great. Well, I have been wanting to have you here for a while just because I think you're a remarkable human being who's doing amazing work. But I wanted to start around the idea of safety in general, because I think that the idea of emotional safety or the permission to be a certain way in a conversation or the willingness to show up with courage and vulnerability. I mean, all of that sort of ties around the idea of feeling safe. So I would love to maybe start there and ask you just, why do people struggle feeling safe? And where does the root of all of that actually come from? It's a really big question. Swinging right out the gate. I told you. Right out the gate. We weren't going to talk about donuts and breakfast and coffee. Coffee. No, No, none of that shit. None of, none of, nothing. So... I mean, I think to start from what the research says, safety is the treatment for everything. Like feeling safe can help humans get past a lot. And I think the underpinning of why we often don't feel safe is because no one ever taught us how to listen to others. No one ever really taught us how to listen to ourselves either. It's just not something that we, the fundamental thing that we should learn as kids, like how do you listen to yourself? How do you know what you need? How do you define what you need and where your emotions are coming from? And then how do you listen well to someone with you so that they feel this compassionate presence that you want to be for them? Unfortunately, our innate 
tendency is to listen in a way that actually disempowers people. And we don't mean that. We mean so well, but our dear little egos get in the way. And, you know, we want to help and fix them and offer our advice. And, you know, when someone feels pain, we want to take it away because, well, on the one side, if there's someone we care about or even someone we don't know, we don't want someone to feel pain. We want to stop whatever is happening so that they can be okay. The problem with that is the moment we start to try and help or fix or change them, what we're innately saying to them is you can't do this on your own. You need enough to do this. You're not enough. Well, there's that element of even your ego protecting yourself in some ways. Like if I protect or help or create this or do this thing for this person, then I'm going to be safe and held in the event that something happens to me. It's like this weird, it's this weird nature of safety. Like it's fascinating actually, when you really get into it. And I'm realizing as you were talking, there's this element of, if you don't feel safe in yourself, you actually don't have the skill sets to create safety in other people. So how does one actually begin the journey to feeling safe within themselves? Well, I mean, I think the broad answer is just becoming more self-aware. I mean, when you think about why you want to help someone, there's the innate goodness of, I want to help that person because I care about them or I I just, I want to be helpful, but there's the ego driven piece of, I want to be the hero. I want to do something good. Like I would love to be the reason that they have a better day, right? Like we do this thing where we make everything about us and we don't, I mean, we don't intend to be jerks and, and do that in that way, but that's just what happens. And we want to be special. We want to be significant. We want to be significant in someone else's life. We want to take their pain away if we can. But the problem is what we're technically doing is robbing them of their own path to resilience. And when you feel like you're in a place of being able to just be with someone when they're in pain and whether it's, you know, holding that container of allowing them to be in pain and saying like, I see you, it's okay. Whatever you feel is okay. You're You're valid in what you feel. It doesn't need to be fixed. You don't need help. You don't need to be changed. You're perfect as you are. I believe in you keep walking, like keep walking up that mountain. So social baseline theory, I actually love this. It basically says that if you're looking at this mountain, mountain challenge, hard thing, right? You're looking at this thing. And if you're by yourself, you're like, oh my gosh, I don't think I can do this. Like, this is too much. This is overwhelming. I can't do this. If you have someone with you that you think you can maybe kind of sort of trust, that person is not going to train you, carry you up that mountain. They're not going to do anything. They're just physically there. Even not physically, they're just present. You actually perceive that challenge as not as hard. It's a little bit less challenging. And then the research says the furtherance of that is if you have what they call a trusted beloved, if you have someone that you can absolutely trust with you, It can even be with you in your mind. It can even be the presence of someone who's no longer around or who isn't physically with you. But if you feel like you have the presence of someone that you can trust with you, that challenge looks way easier. And so, I mean, the moral kind of that research is that we don't need to do anything for anyone. You just need to be present with them and witness them on their journey. And there's something about being seen in going through something hard that's like, you don't need me. I'm here. If you want to reach out, if you need help, I'm here, but I'm not going to try and help you because you don't need it. You can get up that mountain on your own. I believe in you. 
it's that simple. And the, the funny thing is when you can be self-aware enough to stop yourself from trying to help, it ends up taking the burden off of your shoulders because in, from the standpoint of the person who's always helping, yeah, it's a lot to hold. And then you shut down because if you're overwhelmed, you, I have to hold someone else's stuff too. And like, you don't, you actually don't. So it actually just makes us better humans if we know this stuff, which isn't taught until now. Well, that's something you do really well. I've actually noticed that about you. You don't really coddle or take on other people's shit, but you're very good at allowing them to sort of dig in a healthy way to discover deeper layers of emotional resilience. I mean, I've experienced that firsthand, personally, just from our interactions. And I love the idea that you don't actually even need to have the person near you for you to access deeper levels of resilience within yourself. Can you talk about that in your own life, maybe from experiences or just anything around like just feeling connected to something, someone, some element of life that's allowed you to access deeper levels of resilience within yourself? Yeah, totally. I mean, the research basically says that you can kind of repattern your nervous system if you can even just remember the presence of someone that you could trust, whether that person's around or not, doesn't matter. I mean, like you can kind of take on the presence of anyone at any time. If you're self-aware enough. I mean, for me, I lost my dad 10 years ago and feeling like I can call on whether it's the way that he would celebrate me or the way that I knew that he had my back even just calling on, I mean, it it doesn't have to be a parent. I mean, I was blessed with a parent that just supported me to the ends of the earth. And I mean, uh, he challenged me a ton, don't don't get me wrong, but there was just this knowing of like, go fail, go skin your knees, go get everything wrong. I'm here to bandage you up, to talk you back to center. You know, I'm, I'm here to remind you of who you are. I think that's the key. If there's something or someone, or even a ritual like coffee that reminds you of who you are and allows you to take that moment of like, okay, who am I? Who do I want to be in this situation? Mental resilience is so, so often we, we go into PTSD around small things, big things, anything hard that happens, right? Like you can get stuck in it. We're very aware of PTSD. I mean, we think of it in like, oh, that's, that's a thing that veterans get. Like, no, that's a thing that every human gets, you know, to different degrees. But I think the unfortunate part is that we've never really learned about the fact that there's an opposite to it. And the fact that we have choice and we can choose to get stuck in it. We can choose to say like, oh, this hard thing is so hard and so ugly and so scary and so painful that I'm going to put myself into a cage and I'm just going to retreat and it's going to hold me back. As opposed to post-traumatic growth, PTG, which is what allows you to say like, okay, that thing still sucks, still hurts, still scary, still painful, but I'm going to let that thing push me forward. I mean, for me, losing my dad was, I'm going to let that make me better. This has to push me forward because, I mean, in the very beginning, it was as simple as like, I wouldn't be making him proud if I let it hold me back. Like, I've got to rise now. I mean, however you can do that, in whatever way you can find that little shred of like, no, screw that. I'm not going to put myself in a cage. This is going to make me better. I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't have all the answers, but I'm going to take one step today, one step forward. That's it. And just the fact that we can actually choose between those things, like 
we have agency over that, but you have to be self-aware enough and be able to call on something that reminds you of who you are and who you want to be to actually take action on it. And a lot of times that's really hard, right? Like it's, if you haven't internalized some sort of compassionate presence, it might be in a ritual. It might be in the sound of the ocean, you know? Let me ask you about ritual. Cause I think that's, that's a really interesting idea that you can actually have a ritual to remind you of the best parts of yourself or a ritual to get you ready. It's almost like even if you think about people going into war or athletes going into a sporting event, having rituals to remind you of who you are or get yourself into that space, just for anyone regular, like regular you know, individuals who are actually just chilling, having a year. It's been a, it's been a year for a lot of people. So- you know, having a year, being pushed in different ways, how can something as simple as a ritual actually help them find deeper levels of resilience? I mean, okay, so we share that we both own coffee companies. For me, coffee was, I think for a lot of people, coffee is connection, coffee is community, and I'll come back to remind me about the community piece because there's something in that too. But for me, coffee is this thing that you do every day. And because it's the thing that you don't miss, you miss a day at the gym. Maybe you miss a day meditating. You miss a day having a green juice. Like you miss a lot of the things that, you know, we all say we do every day. Coffee for some people is like religion. It's maybe the closest thing they have because they don't miss a day. And whether that's because they're going to get a headache if they don't have it or because they won't wake up and be able to function, whatever. So for me, coffee is, it's the opportunity to take a step forward every day. So it's the inspiration. It's the positive, like daily forward movement. And I mean, for me, the way that I make coffee, I mean, the Unimatic takes 14 minutes start to finish. So I have some time while I'm making coffee and then while I'm drinking it to really, like, it's not a quick thing to really sink into like, what is the intention? You know, what is it about today or me or what I'm going through that needs the space? I love what you just said, I don't know why it's ringing for me, this idea that for you, coffee is this decision to move forward. That's what it is. That's actually it. It doesn't matter what your ritual is. It can be anything, but something that signifies, it could be making your bed. It could be like just checking the first thing off on your to-do list. It can be anything, but as long as you intentionally allow that to mean, hey, I'm going to choose to move forward. I'm going to choose to take this step forward. I'm going to choose to make this be the thing that allows me to step into the fullest version of myself. That's all you really need. And that compounds over time. I'd love for you to touch on that. You said something about the community piece. How does community play into that idea of moving forward? Some of the science behind what makes us feel safe is the fact that as humans, when in struggle, we are looking to other humans. We tend to go inward, which is good, but the thing that really helps. I mean, what we're doing all the time is looking at someone else and saying, am I okay? Are you with me? We can change someone's state by the way that we look at them. And somehow this isn't talked about, but there's something about like, you can look at someone with a very like diagnostic penetrating, I'm judging you gaze, or you can look at someone in just a open, accepting curious, compassionate, the way that your eyes are literally can change someone's entire state of being. And you can feel it, right? Like you felt that. 
I feel all the time. I'm laughing at you. This is like the embodiment of who you are. Like I look at you and it's just like, yeah, all the shit she's saying. She's just talking about herself on my podcast. That's all she's doing. She's talking about me, me, me. <laughs> I mean, I'm not. I'm, I mean, I'm maybe I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying, right? You gotta, you gotta try to live it when you talk about it so much. I fail all the time. However, so, I mean, part of polyvagal theory and the concept of safety being the treatment is, I mean, and this is what's so hard about the state that we're in right now. Like, we do this thing where we, we other people. So, like, I believe this. And if you believe that, well, then I must be right. And if for me to be right, then you must be wrong and you must be bad and I must be good. And, and we do this, like, we tangle up our self-concept in being right and being right equals being good. And it just, it makes us diagnostic around people and it makes us look at them and judge them and dehumanize them. And the moment you dehumanize someone and say like, oh, well, you know, I reject them. It's the same thing as racism. That's the underpinning of all of the harm and hurt and it's not useful, but we do it so often and we do it in everything. It's the most damaging thing we can do. But the, the community piece is if you can find a person or people that you can be safe with, that you can either talk about, like, here's how we're going to intend to look at each other, right? Like, we're going to try and not do this. We're going we're gonna, to, like, wave a little flag when one of us does it. Like, you know, no one's perfect. We all fail. But if you can be self-aware enough to say, like, hey, you're doing that thing again. Can you maybe not? Your eyes are twitching at me to <gasps> slow your roll. <laughs> so lack of social support is twice as accurate at predicting the long-term effects of PTSD, trauma, challenging things than the severity of the incident itself. Think about that for a second. Lack of social support is twice as accurate in predicting how something hard affects you than how hard that thing even was. What? Like community. Oh my God, community. All of it, all the time. Mm. What's beautiful about the eyes is that even now when everyone's wearing masks and you can't actually smile at people and you can't really show them how much you care, it's empowering to know that you can actually soften your gaze or just purely even with presence. Again, like you don't have to say anything through a mask. You don't have to do anything. It's purely with your presence and the way that you can just soften your your own eyes and into their hearts and it's like it goes beyond it it's what calms your mind down i feel like the mind is the gatekeeper this squishy little thing up here is really the it's fascinating but once you begin to understand that all of our minds are doing that with each other it actually just calms the whole thing down and i have a lot more compassion for your mind when it's acting up and you have a lot more compassion for my mind when it's acting up. It's a powerful practice. So you also do a ton of this type of work in official settings. So like, how do you actually teach this idea of being able to speak compassion through your eyes? How do you actually teach somebody who may not like, I mean, people who are going through really tough times or people that may be from wildly different socioeconomic backgrounds, different thought processes. How do you actually level the playing field and remind them that we're actually all just part of team human? Team human. I love team human. So brave conversations over coffee uses coffee to start the conversations that are going to harmonize the world. Right. So using coffee is a very easy in people get it. 
they understand we're coming together around this thing that we all kind of get doesn't really need language. And then the brave framework is, you know, all rooted in it's research based. It's all rooted in some type of science and things like hostage negotiation and positive psychology. And there's a very clear structure. I mean, the real answer is you teach people this stuff by doing it. So like, I think that I can tell them what the structure is. I can run through the brave framework with them. We can do it week over week, but I think what they learn the most from is giving that kind of listening because brave, I'll explain it later, but brave is an acronym that basically teaches you how to listen in a way that empowers the people around you and listen in a way that's actually compassionate and the way that we ideally we listen. And so I think you teach it by at once being it and doing that thing with your eyes and holding that compassionate space and not and showing them that they don't need to be fixed. They can share things. I've seen so many tears. I've seen so much of all of it, but I don't need to dive in and do anything about it. I just need to thank them for feeling safe enough to share because it's an honor when someone is vulnerable with you. And vulnerability can look like many things, right? And sometimes it's really uncomfortable, but that's about me. If I say I'm uncomfortable when you're vulnerable, that's making your feelings about me. And that's selfish, not about me. So I think the the giving of that type of listening and then the receiving of that type of listening. So what happens in a brave conversation is you're at once receiving that kind of listening when you're sharing and you're giving that kind of listening to everyone else. So you're actually experiencing all of it at the same time and we're all doing it together. And the structure is very specific so that you can get used to it and kind of build it like a muscle. So when you're out in the world where there is no structure, where you can't say, hold on, we're all going to only speak for two minutes. Like we're going to adhere to this. It's in you already. And you can catch yourself and it makes you more self-aware. It makes you more able to stop yourself mid advice offering and rather saying like, wow, that's fascinating. Thank you for sharing. Like, is there more? Like, I'm curious. What about that is so important to you? It makes you able to, to stop yourself in your tracks. I'm really glad you brought that up. I love that. That's why it's so important to have a framework because having tough conversations with people from different walks of life and being able to actually hold the space without getting triggered, that's not something that can happen. Like instinctively, it's something that can come with practice. But if you have like a, like a step-by-step I'm having this conversation with this person. I'm about to lose my shit. Like you have this, like this opening, this dialogue, but you have now this like, oh no, I just need to go to step three or I just need to remember to do this and I need to remember to breathe. It allows actually bumpers for your nervous system to like just kind of go down a path instead of it being on this fight or flight response. So you're almost actually teaching yourself to heal by using a framework. I mean, you know how much my nervous system likes bumpers. (laughs) I and everyone else. Yeah, you're teaching yourself to heal. You're teaching yourself to look at your own stuff and acknowledge it, but put it on the shelf because right now this isn't about you. Walk me through this framework. When we do this for companies, we do this in colleges too. We're starting to do it with the NYPD, which is mind-blowing. The structure is really simple. So I'll ask a question. Everybody has the same amount of time to share. And in companies, what's fascinating about that is that usually there's a hierarchical structure around how long people talk and their order. And when everyone just gets two minutes, it doesn't matter if you're the analyst or the MD, 
it levels the playing field. No one is more important than another. The second thing is that we share popcorn style. So you do not go around the room. That is an immediate way to get people to stop listening. Because think about it. The person next to you is going, you know you're next. So you didn't hear a thing they said. You're constantly like, oh, I need, I need to sound smart. I need to have the answer. I need to, you know, whatever your thing is, you're not there for anyone but yourself. And it's allowing you to be really selfish. And so the way to stop that is we call it popcorn style. So you're sharing whenever you feel called. And now that everything's on Zoom, it's really easy to just unmute and allow yourself to go. So it's not around in a circle. You also don't have to share. One of the, I think, most fun things is that when people hear rave conversations over coffee, they're like, oh my God, you're the Brene Brown of coffee. And it's like, I love you. I love you so much. And I mean, yeah, this is about vulnerability, but I'm actually not asking you to be vulnerable at all. Like brave describes the way you listen. You are more than welcome to come to this space and not share. That's such an empowering, like even the way you describe that, it's so non-threatening. Like, I think that's what's so inspiring about the way you hold space is like, it truly is like just letting people be where they're at and honoring them where they're at, which then allows, like that goes back to that piece of them feeling like they have the support to then build the emotional resilience, to then have the courage to then to be vulnerable at the time that they choose to do so, which is then reinforcing the fact that they made a choice. And it's like this wonderful inception. It's beautiful. Way to be. Just <laughs> it really is like just hearing you talk about it, it, it's profound how much just how much thought and intention is being put into a process that allows people to feel so safe and seen and allowed, which is what I think we're all missing. Like we're all missing permission to be ourselves. Anyway, sorry. Tangent done. No, no, no. Perfect tangent. Thank you. I genuinely believe that you can't ask someone to be vulnerable. All you can control is yourself, right? Like in anything. And all you can do is control the way that you show up and the space that you create. And if someone feels safe enough to share it, they will. And if they don't, they won't. I think that the fact that the emphasis is on the way that you listen. So like you can say pass. Say it all the time. That's great. Because the most important role that you're playing here is to listen bravely to everyone else. And if you don't feel safe sharing, that's A-okay. But your role here is to listen bravely. I mean, that's the structure of the space. And then I guess the secondary part of the structure is the framework. And the cool part is that you can use this on your, like you can brave yourself. You can be brave in a conversation. You can listen bravely. Like you can apply this to so many things. It really keeps you in check. It kind of gives you the bumpers of like, what happens when someone shares something that feels really hard for you to hold? Like what happens when, like, how do you listen? What does that look like? You know, like what is the intention behind everything? So it kind of walks you through how to listen better. All right. Walk me through brave. How long? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm done dancing around this. Let's, okay. let's, let's jump in. Okay. So the B stands for be present. I mean, that is social baseline theory. We kind of talked about that already. So being present means you're not helping there's no cross-talking. If someone shares something, you're not going to respond to them. Your job is to listen. So you're just being present. You're also not doing that thing where you're like, oh my God, that happened to me too. And we think that that's really helpful because our intention is to say you're not alone in that whatever thing you're feeling. But what actually that does is it takes the person's moment, space, 
it takes that away and says like, oh, now we're going to make it about me, which isn't helpful. So we intend to just be present with everyone and just be. We've gone over being present. The R stands for rapport, which is a fancy way of saying trust. It's the moment of bonding. So it's the moment when, stay with me for a second. It's the moment that you feel that I feel what you feel. So it's like, oh, she's on, she's got my back. She's on my side. Rapport is so odd, funny story. My dad was in intelligence for a bit, I think before I was alive. And so he kind of taught me to communicate in the framework that hostage negotiators use. He never said that or why or how. And as it turns out, my, when I was giving my first TEDx talk, I think I was the youngest presenter and the guy that was the oldest presenter, he and I became fast friends. We practiced together. He just had hip surgery. So like we had lunch together. We, I mean, he was the most adorable human. His talk was on hostage negotiation and losing his son. He was a hostage negotiator for 40 years. My talk was on coffee and losing my dad. So we had this, this thing that we do, but then also loss and like why we do it. And I ended up going to his leadership certification course. And while I was there, kind of unearthed, like, why do you communicate in the same way that I do? Like, what do you know? What is your background? Who are you? Why, how can you do this? And I didn't know. And when I mentioned, oh, my dad was an intelligence. They're like, seriously, you couldn't have said that hours ago? So in terms of rapport, in hostage negotiation, you have to get through, there are five steps. You have to get to rapport before you can request behavioral change, negotiate, do anything. Like you have to get to that space of we've built a bond together. And only after you've done that, can you ask them to put down a weapon or do anything differently than what they're doing? You have to put in the work to build that bond before you can do anything else. So that's rapport. That's the R. The A, how do you build rapport? You build rapport by actively listening. Also from hostage negotiation. Actively listening is we tend to listen waiting for our own turn to talk. That's how most of our society listens because it's not about you. It's about me. I just, I'm just, I'm only listening because you're still talking, but I'd be talking if you weren't talking. And that's kind of what we do, which is kind of sad, but actively listening is listening with your entire body. Like all of you, like you can listen with your eyebrows and someone can feel that. And so, I mean, if you think, think about communication, like a hostage situation, I get that that's very Like extreme. you would rather not be anywhere else. Like that's the feeling that you're trying to portray through whether it's the way you look at somebody, your eyebrows, your positioning, the way you uh-huh, the way you're like really actively actually listening. Like you're, you're showing them, not just telling them that you're here. Yeah. Yeah. In a hostage situation, you would never scroll. You would never keep looking at your computer while you were talking to someone. You would look at that person, at their face, in their eyes, and the reason is because there's a very close link between our unconscious and facial expression. And our unconscious recognizes facial expression before we cognitively know a damn thing. It's that like, I'm looking to you. Am I okay? What's happening? Are you with me? Are you against me? Do I have to go into fight or flight? Or are you accepting of me? And so much of that is what does build the rapport. Like that's what builds the bond feeling like I'm accepted. I'm seen in a hostage situation. I'm seen in doing this, you know, intense thing that can be judged as bad or wrong. And I'm seen and I'm being talked to like a human. I'm accepted. Like, huh? 
so it's almost that the moment of like, wait, maybe I can actually get my need met. It's that like, ah, I can be who I am. And I mean, that's what builds a bond with someone. So, I mean, most of communication is not the words you say, right? Like it's tonality, it's body language, it's facial expression. So that's what active listening is. If you do it well, what may happen is the V, someone may become vulnerable. And quick note on vulnerability, people think vulnerability is like, I need a shoulder to cry on, it's squishy, it's sadness, it's embarrassment, it's fear. Yes, it is that. Vulnerability is also rage. Vulnerability is jealousy and anger and like much more prickly emotions as well. Vulnerability is the sharing of an emotion. It doesn't mean it's an emotion that you're going to be comfortable with holding. But when we think about vulnerability, it's like, oh, I don't want to be weak. Like, no, vulnerability is just sharing whatever emotion is in you. It's truth. I think the important part about that is we say we want people to be vulnerable with us, but then they're angry. And then we're like, no, 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 stop. I'm going to be defensive and meet you with my own anger and everything just explodes. And it's fascinating because when someone becomes vulnerable, especially if it's a more prickly emotion in our space, what we say is, I mean, what would happen if you were curious about it? If you brought curiosity to, wow, you're really angry. Tell me more about it. Like it's an honor that you're sharing this with me. Like that means you trust me enough to share something really hard. That's an honor. Tell me more. And so when someone becomes vulnerable, our only job, only job, literally only thing that we're allowed to do is step into empathy. And empathy can be described in many ways. It's walking in someone else's shoes. It's non-judgment. However, we are human. So not judging is something that's really hard. And our ego really wants to judge because we really want to be right. So I like to language empathy more in terms of it's the intention. You're going to have judgments about that person, about yourself. Judgments are going to happen, but your intention is to put them on the shelf and say like, okay, it's here, but I'm going to stay with you. What is it to be you? What is it to be in that situation with you? And you're not saying you agree with them. You're not saying you're going to change your mind because of how they feel or what they're saying. You're not saying they're right or wrong. You're just opening that space. So we're also not taught where our emotions come from, but our emotions come from needs, like underlying needs that are or aren't met, right? So like positive ones are things that have been met. Negative ones are when a need hasn't been met. And so I like to think of empathy as like opening this ocean of space so that you can get beneath the emotion and get to the need and just kind of hold that person in that vulnerability to get beneath the emotion to the need that is or isn't being met, presumably isn't being met because it's a harder. So brilliant, by the way. Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> I am curious. This feels like, so the framework I get, and it's something that people can return to, but this almost even feels like something, I think I heard you say this, I don't know on this podcast before, but like this idea that you can actually implement this framework with yourself mm-hmm. and be the observer of your experience with a framework. So can you talk me through that? Because everything you just mentioned is something that can be, in my mind, implemented in a daily journaling practice and something that can be used when you're triggered and when something outside of you is really prickly or when you're thrown into tough life situations. It feels like something that's more personal 
And as you learn to practice something personally with yourself, you actually can learn to do that with other people. So can you, can you talk about the personal practice and what that looks like? Yeah, I mean, so you can you can do it on yourself. You can also do it before if you if you know that there's a conversation coming up that's going to be hard. You can do it kind of on the other person. Like you can brave the other person first too, just to kind of get yourself into like, oh wow, I didn't realize the things that they might be needing. And like you can't say it with certainty because you don't know what they're needing. You have to. It's your job to hold the space and ask. But you can usually get underneath whatever's happening for you that's making the conversation seem so hard. So if you're doing it for yourself, it'd be cool if you had an example, but like what would happen if you could just be present? Like, so say there's this thing that's bugging you. What would happen if you didn't need to fix it? What would happen if you were able to like sit next to it and be like, Hey, you're here. I'm here with you. Like, what if you didn't need to change it? So it's almost like you're like, you're treating yourself like someone you loved. Yeah, that's exactly what you're doing. You're treating yourself like somebody you loved and you're being present and you're building rapport with yourself and you're, that's almost like you're speaking to a, your inner child in some ways, because that's, that's actually what you're doing. Really. You're talking to the little version of you that's angry and wants to throw stuff. Yeah. It just needs to feel, needs to feel safe. That's it. Yes. So then it would be, you know, what does it look like to build a bond? with this thing? What does it look like to build trust? How can we intend to build trust in whatever is happening right now? This takes inner child work to a whole nother level. When you actually apply a framework like this to the idea that every part of you that is quote unquote undesirable or every part of you that's triggered, every part of you that doesn't feel like it's having its needs met, like it's actually you just learning to parent yourself better. Yeah in the most beautiful way. Like you're really learning to be the parent you always needed. Yeah. I mean, a lot of polyvagal theory is like, you need to find that space of safety. And I mean, they say like, it's kind of reparenting. You can find that in yourself in another compassionate presence. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's finding a way to feel safety and giving that to yourself. So what would it look like if you listened with all of you to this thing? Like, Something about active listening too is that if you're looking at someone, you can see when there's a facial expression of fear fly across someone's face. And they might not say a word that tells you that, but you can see it. Like you can feel it. Like there's something in you that can feel it. So what would it look like to actively listen to this challenge? What is it not saying? Mm, This is so good. This is so empowering. I love the idea of just having tools to better. I mean, you're getting to know yourself better, which in turn is actually allowing you to hold space for You're building emotional intelligence, like emotional intelligence, emotional resilience almost go hand in hand when you're dancing through life. Like it's one thing to be able to have the courage to feel what you need to feel, but then it's another thing to intelligently be able to, have the conversations with yourself that can empower that courage in a more sustainable way. Um, Ooh, I like it. (laughs) (laughs) I like it a lot. (laughs) Next comes the V. So if you actively listen to this hard thing, like what would happen if it became vulnerable? What would it say? Would it be really angry? Would Would it be really sad? Would it just need to solve with you? Would it need to like, throw things and break things 
And then how do you hold it? Like if that happens, how do you step into empathy and hold it and not judge it and just be with it? <laughs> You're a smart cookie. <laughs> really, really. No, I, I mean it. Like this is, I love I'm a huge fan of inner child work. I think I've talked to you about this in the past. Like I just, I, I journal to, I journal to little Raj all of the time. And sometimes it's like a daily thing. Like I'll just calm him down and let him know he's doing okay. Even if there's nothing wrong, just because I have found that every part of me that usually responds in a reactionary manner is coming from memory and experience that was etched in stone at a very young age. And I just love this just because it's giving more power to the adult Raj, to the higher self Raj, to the Raj that can hold that space. It's so empowering. Like I feel like I just want to go do a bunch of push-ups right now. I want to go like and just rock the world. Like well I feel like like truly like if you know you have this and you know there's a separation between the response you're having and who you actually are, then you can actually truly go into life with all of its challenges, with all of the shit that's unfolding, with everything that's breaking, and still be okay because you know how to create the safety necessary for you to actually show up as your highest self. Mm-hmm. <sighs> that's the goal. I love it. I love it. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I mean, I genuinely feel like learning this and having brave conversations is perhaps our greatest public service right now. Like no one's ever been okay. Cause like human, but now it's okay to actually acknowledge like no one's okay right now. Exactly. No one on earth is totally okay right now. It's just not, it's just not a thing. And I feel like if we're able to do this for ourselves, but also for others, we actually have a chance. <laughs> Yeah, we do. And you're, I mean, you're doing such amazing work. I'm, I'm astounded. I told you earlier, I wasn't sure where the hell this conversation was going to go, but I'm really glad it went the direction it did because I think so many people right now are like, this is what this year has been for so many. It's, it's challenged our sense of safety. Like we have, this invisible virus has come in and caused the real virus, which is fear, which is self-doubt, which is a sense of a lack. It's shining the light on all of these things that we were like really looking for outside of us. And it's just so important, the work you're doing. And it's so much, it's so empowering to just know that there are tools like these and there are people like you who are truly creating that space for others to step into themselves. Thanks for being, you're great. You're great. Thank Keep, you for being. You're great. Thank you. thank you. All right. So if anybody wanted to learn more about Brave Conversations, maybe have you come out and help or even just learn more about how they can implement this in their own lives. Like, can you talk about some of the resources that you have available or anything in that world so that whoever's listening can get in touch and just be about it? Yeah, totally. I mean, I kind of just want to give out my email. Sure. Knock yourself out. I mean, you know this when you feel like you're doing this thing in the world that, I don't know, is part of why you're here. Yeah. I just, the more we can do, the better. So yeah, ELCC, like in cat, ELC at Cafe Unimatic. So C-A-F-F-E-U-N-I-M-A-T-I-C.com is my email address. I mean, you can go to cafeunimatic.com. You can go to braveconversationsovercoffee.com. 
at Kevin Unimatic on Instagram, we actually give people a either a brave conversation over coffee question to use every weekend or a tip about listening or something to help you get better at this on your own. A lot of people like the questions because they're questions that you don't ask yourself. I mean, all of this stuff is hard to do for yourself, right? Like that's why we need other humans. I mean, I'd love if you had the conversation, but you can also just use it to journal and like get to know yourself better. We have some, I'm happy to send people if they want resources about like how to have your own brave conversation. Um, Or I have a worksheet around how to actually like write down, you know, how can you be present? What do you need to build rapport and active listen and, you know, step into empathy if someone becomes vulnerable. Like there's a worksheet to like help you kind of brave yourself before you have a hard conversation so you can actually be in a good place. So you're not coming to, I mean, what's that Victor Frankl quote? Something that you mentioned before, like that space between stimulus and response that space is where we get to choose and that's where our power lives. So it kind of helps you take that pause and be like, hold up, something's happening. What do I need? What do I want from this? So good. We'll make all of these, everybody listening, trying to like frantically write shit down. We will make all of this available in the show notes. So don't worry. I got one last question for you. In the midst of everything you're doing, everywhere you've been and everywhere you're going, how do you stay grounded? Coffee. Hey. conversations with wonderful humans like you there it is there it is okay awesome i love it you're great i i'm like i said i'm really grateful that we got to go deep in this way in this medium i'm excited for all the things coming thanks for being all right well everybody that is a wrap for this week's episode of stay grounded i'm your host raj this is your new friend elizabeth and from us stay grounded Thanks for joining us today on this episode of Stay Grounded. I hope you found this interview helpful as you create your own ways to live an extraordinary life. For more resources and support, please visit www.rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded to join the official Stay Grounded Facebook group, a place where aspiring life enthusiasts can connect and ignite passion for life together. My hope is that the positivity, content, resources, and support in this group will resonate with you on a deeper level. That what you hear in our podcast, read in our thoughtful posts, or learn in our courses will empower you to live with intention, uncover true purpose, and challenge the internal dialogues that stop you from being who you really want to be in your life. Again, thanks so much for joining us. Stay grounded.